Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. This is Jeff Frederick, and I am once again without Douglas Squirrel, who is unfortunately not here. I am in sunny Las Vegas, recording live at the DevOps Enterprise Summit, and I'm here with a guest. Uh, this is Bill Bensing, a co-author of Investments Unlimited. Uh, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Fantastic. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Investments Unlimited? Uh, as a as a as a book, yeah. and um, also how you came to be involved in it. All right, so we'll start with the investments on as a book. So it's a it's a theme in the in the um, steam like the Phoenix Project. So it's a novel, right? And it, it's a learning novel. So if you, if you liked uh, uh, the goal and the Phoenix yes. Project and you know uh, um, the Unicorn Project, this is another sort of. Uh, Jump into the story and learn about things. Exactly. Okay. So theme novels such as that, and it's, it goes through a team and individuals, their experience. Um, they had a decent DevOps practices, but all of a sudden they came in a situation where they had a large compliance problem. Okay. And it follows them through sort of their, uh, you know, months of their, how do we get to this compliance issue, identifying what the issue was, but also bringing it back into some of their DevOps practices. Okay. So then how could you bring, everybody uses the term shift left, but DevOps focuses on developers and operations, but they forgot security compliance and audit. Right. So how do you bring some of those forgotten folks into the fold and make this a true broad organizational capability, not just something, you know, the people typing in an IDE do on a daily basis. Right. So this is, this is looking at the, the broader view of DevOps, not just as a development practice, not about software, but also about the organization and how do we, you know, get past those silos into the other parts and other other areas and other concerns in the organization. Exactly, passive silos and the concerns. But uh, also, one thing to point out, and one argument to make today is, in a highly regulated organization such as Investments Unlimited, the, the fictional um, organization, security and compliance is a feature of their software, hmm. and it's expected, at least if not by their customers, by the regulators. Okay. And so, as you start to think about that broader aspect, is see these people forget the or the, a lot of organizations forget. These are features and these should be a part of the software is being delivered, not something that's tested in, like you can't test quality into something. I see. So being planned as a as a feature of the software. Right. And that's that's an interesting idea that of the of the idea that sort of compliance as a feature is gonna be a bit different than the way most people think about software and about security indeed, which as you say is kind of mostly a, a, a tacked on thing at the end. Exactly. And so how do we how do we build it in? Now how did you personally come to be involved in writing this book? What's your own background related, related to governance and, and you know, DevSecOps and that kind of thing? Yeah, so um, it's funny. So broader background before I sort of got into this was, you know, this basically shadow IT. I'm a proponent of shadow IT. Okay. I, for, I firmly believe that shadow IT is sort of the people in the business who don't know enough about technology, building solutions to their own problem. Now, so, so explain shadow IT here for so some of our listeners. Okay. Might not have ever heard that term if you've ever been like just a straight off product company. Most of my, my whole career has been in product companies. So I hear there really is no shadow yeah. IT in a product company, yeah, right? right? But yeah. Well, there might be more than so. you might think, but anyway. <laughs> so explain what we mean by shadow IT. So let's say, let's take this to a normal organization, like a, a large aircraft manufacturer. They have an mm -hmm. IT organization, and then they have other aspects such as procurement, who procures right. the parts. Well, procurement needs software to make themselves work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of software is done on, you know, the most common server enterprises, Microsoft Excel. Mm -hmm. And so could you, <laughs> could you take that and make an application out of it to help your team? Right. And so the person making that application that happens to be in procurement mm -hmm. and not on the IT team, that's, that's shadow IT. They're writing software. They're doing things people right. don't agree with. But they're not in the normal IT, and so it's not necessarily. It's not visible. It's it's hiding in the shadows. It's, exactly. It's IT development being done in the shadows of the organization, and it's still a significant part of the created business value. Exactly. 
but it, it doesn't have the visibility and it doesn't have the label of IT. Exactly. Okay, so you're a fan of IT, of distributing the ability to create solutions out to people who actually have the problems and the relevant domain knowledge. I like the way you stated that I'm stealing that. <laughs> it's such a way better way to say I'm saying shadow IT. Yeah. So, so it's empowerment. Okay. Yes. So you're, you're a fan of empowerment, which sounds like the opposite of governance. So that's really funny that you would come in here and be like, yeah, I, I like this when, when in fact, you're, you know, then you write a book about how you shouldn't be doing that. Well, then that's where I get into my struggle because like doing the shadow IT and the empowerment, you would empower people, but governance is very important, and especially in these organizations. And my experience was, you know, you tend to be held back by it. Mm -hmm. But as I got into my job at Red Hat a couple of years ago, and this is where I started down this journey, get really, uh, you know, really into it. And before then, it was, you know, running enterprise architecture organizations, um, standing up product teams, IT teams. But as I got into it, I was working with the federal government and this concept of authority to operate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the government wants to make, give any, empower people to write software for them, the defense industrial base. But then you have this authority operate this governance that just sort of, stops things in its tracks or that's the perception okay now it's a value-added process the thing about governance is it's value-added but how it's implemented tends to be where everybody has the rub and so <laughs> as i'm going through i'm doing this thing called a software factory so it's cicd as a service basically mm -hmm. and then you have this you got to get things ato'd and authority to operate so you got to get auditors to say yeah this can go into production yep or you have this idea of continuous authority to operate where there's automation that determines whether it can or can Okay. And so I became infatuated with this because what I saw with continuous authority to operate was, I mean, hold on a second. I was like, that could solve my shadow IT problems or the empowerment problem. Right. I can empower people to write and then instantaneously they can find out whether it's, it, it meets the governance standards. And if it doesn't, why? Okay. And so as I started going down this path, I met John Willis. Mm -hmm. that. John Willis was a senior director in our global transformation office. Um, DevOps was a DevOps handbook co-author, a couple of folks like that. Um, and then that's where I really started getting into this. Um, and him and I worked together at a couple of internal hackathons. And then actually he eventually invited me to the DevOps Enterprise Forum in 2021 to help write a paper, mm -hmm. um, which then became the book. Right. Okay. Fantastic. And, and we've had John Willis on the podcast before. I've, I've known him for many years from DevOps days. Uh, um, we always get into talking about uh, Demi. So, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put a link to our John Willis episode uh, in the show notes. Um, so when I come back to this, though, so, so one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started was the kind of what's the motivation for this? Because you're talking about automating governance, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, bringing the, the um, security and compliance into the process yeah. and, and streamlining it. And I kind of challenged you a bit and said, like, OK, look, is, is this is this just automating away bullshit or is it actually providing value? And, um, you know, but, you know, you, you use the phrase, which I like, which is I'll, I'll still in the future is governance theater. Yeah. Um, so to what extent, you know, is, is, it sounds like minimally you can you can make things more efficient because you kind of automate yeah, the, 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 the terribleness. But that's not very interesting to me. Like just to say, like, we have this manufactured problem of needing to sign off to a standard. Yeah. And, and so we're going to go the way. But what if I what about the real efficacy part? What is there anything about this that if I actually cared about governance, and I cared about the benefits that should accrue. If I care about being more secure, that would lead me towards this automated approach. So use the word care. Yeah. Automated governance is for the organizations that truly care about security and compliance as features of the software. 
you can do security compliance theater, get a rubber stamp, get something stamped that makes, you know, customers feel good. Mm-hmm. But, and that says I'm meeting some standard, maybe it's some standard standard out there, but if you want to meet a high standard yeah. above the normal, that's where the automated governance comes in. And you want to prove to yourself because it's a true core value of you and your organization that you're meeting these certain expectations, not just meeting, but exceeding, you know, they'll steal the Volvo instance. We yeah. were discussing sort of Volvo crashing cars of, uh, above and beyond the expected crash standards. That's right. You know, they did their own tests that weren't, that weren't government mandated. Exactly. Because they, they, because they had a mission to make safe cars. It, it wasn't enough to, for them to just meet the government standards because they cared about true safety. And that's what your analogy here is that, that the people, if you care about real security, yes, real governance, then you should be looking to build it into your process. Exactly. Well, you said it. Real security, true security, true compliance, make yeah. it part of the standard process. Right. Fantastic. And um, if I do that, you know, what, you know, this in the world that's changing here, I guess maybe the other question, why should people care about this? Not, not for my clients, but why should I care about it for myself? When you start caring about it for yourself, it's, um, again, the true, uh, the true compliance and true there. So in true compliance and true security, you're proving it to yourself. Um, but that's giving you a lot of, um, anything about leeway and sort of, uh, well, I mean, Again, I don't want to use the word branding, and I, I hate doing that because it makes it a stronger product, builds a stronger business, it builds a stronger culture around this. Mm-hmm. And so, as I start thinking about why, why you know, just the benefit to me, but um, mm-hmm. why do I care? Um, if you bring that into the organization, and I'm really, I don't know why I'm thinking so hard on this one <laughs> <laughs> because it's a, I mean, I'm, part of it is I'm trying to be very careful about how my words come out because I don't want to sound salesy. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a problem I, I come to understand I may have every once in a while. <laughs> um, so it, well, maybe it's because you're passionate about it. So it comes around, you're almost evangelistic. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I like but that's that. what I'm saying is evangelize for a minute here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's, what's the really the benefit beyond the fact that like I need to do it, I'm required to do it. What, what, what benefit to accrue to me? Like, why should I become one of these people who care extra? It's easy if I can say in the case of, of you know, well, I, you know, should, why should I make my cars safe? I can say like, well, because yeah. I want, I want safe cars. Why? Because I want to save lives. Exactly. Right. Great. Why, why do I really, you know, want this security compliance built into my process? What's the organization I'm in where I think this is really important for me and I want us to have this? Wait, so we'll talk a couple more organizations. Like you talk about, if you're really true to wanting to be secure and compliant, say like the U.S. federal government, let's just talk about the warfighter. Then yeah. what I'm ensuring is whatever they're using yeah. is not just meeting some standard standard, but it's above that when they're downrange. Yeah. I, this is very low probability of certain things happening. Right. Let's say I'm a financial institution. If I really care about security and compliance, yeah. um, this is me making sure like those types of data breaches or anything that's going to happen, like. I'm the, 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 the fact that my client's security is a number one, is a first class citizen yeah. is key. Now there's business advantages to that as well. Yeah. Like, so Volvo, which, which is okay, which is totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> you can get those. Uh, so Volvo was able to, you know, sell some cars to people who cared about safety. Exactly. And like, right. that was a big common thing in the world. Like Volvo, if you bought a Volvo, you know, you're going to be safe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so the, there's elements here. So, so the people who, then who, who look at these things, who look at security theater, they can look beneficial and see like, if we really, if we really care about this, this is what we'd be doing. We should be yes. looking to, to automate this stuff, build it in from the beginning. Um, great. So I, so I read the book. It will tell me exactly where I should start. 
it'll give you a really good idea of how to start having the conversation in your organization. Yeah. I think the benefit of the book, and as we approached it, we wanted the non-technical and the technical sides of the organization yeah. to be able to put words in the storyline to what they need to achieve. Yeah. Because we know when people are having conversations, whether you're talking past, not using the same language, there's a lot of reasons people don't connect in the conversation. Right. So could this be sort of that, that nexus of a conversation that either a non-technical person can slide to a technical individual and says, hey, read this. This is what we're looking to try to achieve as an outcome. Yeah. Or vice versa, could a technical person uh, slide it over to compliance, whoever it may be, yeah. even the CEO and say, take the time to read this. These are the outcomes. Mm-hmm. The difference between sort of what you do under the hood and the outcome of what's created. Mm-hmm. These are the outcomes that we want to look for. Right. And I, and I, I think I really appreciate that. And you used earlier the, the phrase ubiquitous language, you know, almost from like a domain driven science yes. perspective. And so what you're looking to provide with this book is a ubiquitous language for both the business technology so they can agree on what are the outcomes they care about? Exactly. And so in that way, start a conversation for them about what their journey needs to be from this point. How do we actually get there? And why would we make this investment? Should we make the investment? And if we do, are we clear why it is that we're, we're doing this? Exactly. And it's for the people who they want the true security and true, true compliance. Yeah. And maybe they can't try to figure out how to get there yet. This is a way to, you know, now they can be true to what they're trying to get, what they're trying to get done. All right. Fantastic. So if any of our listeners, you know, have heard this and, you know, or maybe read the book and have questions for you or they disagree with you, we always invite, we like yeah. disagreement. Um, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Um, LinkedIn is always a good one. So tag me on LinkedIn in any post okay. um, or Twitter. Okay. Uh, hashtag at Bill Bensing. Um, those are the best two ways. Okay. Um, I tend to check LinkedIn a lot more. Okay. Um, I'm getting my, my Twitter feed. Um, I'm getting on my Twitter feed. <laughs> Get, getting that, getting yeah. up to speed there. Fantastic. Well, we'll put, of course, links to those in the show notes. So if you're, you know, driving, you, you don't need to be, you know, Googling for Bill's name here and looking for him on Twitter. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and of course, if you have any questions for us, for, for Squirrel and I, and maybe you'd like to have your own view, share your own experiences with a, a governance theater. Uh, or what it means to, to governance like you mean it to really uh, make the investment to make it a real thing, uh, then go ahead and get a hold of us. You can do that at agileconversations.com where you'll find our podcasts, our Twitter links, uh, show notes. Yeah, you'll find transcripts of past episodes, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you and your questions. And of course, we'll see you back uh, next Wednesday. Um, thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks for being on, on as a guest, Bill. Thank you very much for the invite.